0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 320. Uh, I'm talking to my good friend, Leslie Vanets today. She is the founder of Sales Team Builder, LLC. She's helping uh, early stage founders uh, you know, as a fractional VP of sales and help them to generate their sales efforts uh, and also helping to make the world of sales a more inclusive place, which I think uh, we could probably all objectively agree is something that's that's needed and, uh, and much welcomed. So had a great convo with Leslie, my fellow Chicagoan. And um, we're going to get to that in a second before we get there. A quick word from our sponsor. All right. This episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast is brought to you by the Up and Up community. This is a community that I put together with my friend, Anthony Natoli, who's over at Lattice. Uh, it's focused on two things. It's helping salespeople crush their goals, hit quota, do all those great things, as well as it's really focused on mental health, uh, trying to avoid burnout, trying to stay on the path, trying to be more fulfilled through this uh, profession. So it's a Patreon group. Uh, we've got a live community. We've got a live chat and Discord that's 24-7. And we have weekly calls where we're bringing in folks like Justin Welsh, uh, Kevin Dorsey, Devin Reed, etc. to come in. We do hour-long sessions every single week, live Q&A. You can ask them whatever you want. Um, and it's amazing. It's only 10 bucks a month. Um, Would love for you to check it out and and give it a go uh, and see if it's something that might be helpful for you. You can check it out either on my LinkedIn page or patreon.com slash the up and up. Hope to see you there. All right, next up on the millennial sales podcast, we have my fellow Chicagoan, Chicagoan, Leslie (laughs) Vanette. Leslie, what's going on?
1: Chicagoan. I mean you're getting the accent down already, Don. yeah, I've
0: been here two months and I'm like, I've nailed it
1: <laughs> uh it's great. everything's great. it's about summertime shy um, and that's mm. the best time of the year to be here so i'm I'm ready for it
0: yeah, me too me too. it's good to uh good good to connect with a fellow um fellow Chicago person that's what I'll call it from now on Chicago um, and
1: you had it Chicago yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, excited to get into, into your story. Um, before we do that, I know you're a Montanan growing up. Um, one of my favorite places, were you from Bozeman or somewhere else in Montana?
1: Great falls, great falls. I was actually just back there all week. And then I went to, to uni there too. I went to Missoula, which is the rival to Bozeman, mm. but that was part of your great American road trip out to Chicago, that, right?
0: That was, that was, took a nice month, drove across and um, Bozeman was, Bozeman was my last real stop before Chicago. Um, I had like one night in South Dakota just because it was like I, I needed to stop off. But I stayed there for a week and it was questionable whether I was going to leave and actually make it to Chicago. It was so nice there.
1: I'm not surprised to hear that. The Gallatin Valley is so gorgeous. And then you have the counterbalance Chicago where you can probably like hear the sirens in the background, oh, like just yeah. like, a you know, a slightly different vibe than, like birds chirping and a peaceful stream running that you get in Postman.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, growing up in Montana, going to school out there, um, and now obviously made it to, you know, the big city, the big windy city, um, and into tech. Did you, did you always know, like you wanted to be in sales or, or how did that kind of come to be, uh, whether, I don't know if it was a parent or came in college or, or what was the start there?
1: Uh, no, none of those things. I I fell into sales like very very accidentally. Um, I moved to Chicago without a job. I am a crazy person when it comes to the way I make decisions. I am not like a I follow my gut sort of person. Uh, instead, I knew I knew from a super super early age that I wanted to to go live in a big city and have that experience and the different opportunities that present itself when you live in a. A major metro. So when I was graduating college, I created a big Excel document on one side were a bunch of cities over like 250K, which at the time I thought was like so big coming from relatively small town, Montana. Uh, and then on the top of the Excel document, I had a bunch of stuff that was important to me. I assigned point values. I literally filled in the points for each city. And then I just moved to Chicago because it had the most points, like sold all my belongings, moved here without a job, without a network, (laughs) um, got a job in sales pretty quickly because I thought I would do like that foolish notion that you go to college and then you use your college degree, right? Um, Just not really a thing for for most people. So I thought I would go into like marketing or nonprofit management or or something in that vein, Uh, but they all paid like $30,000 a year and that, that wasn't going to work for me trying right. to live my best life in my twenties in Chicago. So I right. got into sales, um, uh, because I wanted an opportunity to own my own paycheck and an opportunity to, to make a lot more money than that, you know, like, like 3% a year that you get in, in most salaried jobs. Um, so I went the opposite direction, took a job with an 18 K base, but a 50 K OTE potential. and. Mm. it was spicy for a little while. What were you selling? Uh, I worked for a business intelligence company. So it was like a community as a a service. I was uh, reaching out to C suite, like fortune C suite executives and being a liaison to get them out to events. And then the sponsors would obviously come out as well. So yeah, a little, a little bit of corporate events action.
0: Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the first, first gig. Um, you come in obviously money motivated trying to, um, get around in a city like Chicago on 30 or 50 K is, is not a lot. Um, so, so talk to me a little bit about like the early days where you, you were just cold calling like a maniac. Like, was it an SDR type role or, or like full yeah. AE back then?
1: Um, like a little bit in between, I think, so I'm an, I'm an elder millennial. So it was a little, <laughs> it was a little while ago. Um, so it's an inside sales rep role. So it was full cycle. I don't think I knew that at the time, cause I didn't know like the naming of things, mm-hmm. but I was responsible for both the cold calling and the closing, uh, but really short transactional sales cycle. So less of what we think of as an AE and that more like consultative or, or high dollar Sale, but yeah, like straight out of the gates was, was cold calling, setting my own meetings, going through the, the whole process, getting the contract out. Uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. Let me, let me paint, let me paint a scene. So I was working in downtown Chicago in the NBC tower, which is like right off of Michigan Avenue for folks that don't know it, like heart of downtown. So i just moved from Montana. I'm thinking like, <laughs> why are a sexy little gig over here? Like, this is pretty fancy. What I didn't realize um, is that like 18k, what I mean, I think it was actually below the poverty line at the time, but they could get away with it. Like you get away with paying, you know, wait waiters waitresses like 225 and hope they get tips. Um, but there was more than one occasion where I could not afford to take the train both to and from work because I didn't have five dollars. I only had like the two dollars or 225 and change. So I would take the train to work and have to walk home waiting for my next paycheck. So it was, it was pretty crazy. And it was proper cold calling. We did not have computers at our desks, mm. like did not have computers. We had a shared computer and you had to physically get up and go to a shared computer to be able to send out emails, um, which is just kind of wild to even conceptualize right now. When I, when I was brand new in the role, we would send out proposals via fax, fax, <laughs> like a fax <laughs>
0: So so the people's (laughs) numbers were just like in in notebooks they gave you, or how did you get people's numbers?
1: Um, We sourced all of our own leads. So mine was just like a crazy stack of papers with handwritten notes all over them. What's their admin's name? Where did they go on vacation? And -and so-and-so referred me over. I read this article about them um, because we we had like a homegrown CRM, but it wasn't used as a CRM. Like everything lived on these paper notes. And we just sat at our desk and just called like 100, 150, 200 dials a day. It was the height of the great recession as Mm. well. So there were like, I I managed our, our chief financial officer products. And so there were days where it was like 200 phone calls. You'd maybe reach four people. One would curse you out. Um, One, you would be like very concerned for their emotional state. Two would maybe listen to you. And if you were lucky, one of those would go to a next step
0: yeah man and how was was it one of those where you joined like a sales class and there was a bunch of you or or was that not the vibe
1: um the the onboarding was um okay it was a th- yeah. it was a three-day onboarding so there actually was like a pro- like a proper onboarding and i think there may maybe like four of us okay in in my onboarding class but it was a it was a pretty high turnover job yeah yeah it was it was a pretty high turnover job it uh it, it was like the it was a wild wild west like full open sales floor I was in one business unit but there were four other business units so it was in the entire floor of this high rise in downtown Chicago of all these people just like at their desks smashing the phone cold calling executives day in and day out with like stacks of paper all over around them
0: so you're, you're, uh you're taking the, the you're like, taking public transportation stay? in yeah. there. <laughs> you're walking home. I'm um, not sure how far the walk is, but it's, it's enough where you don't want to walk both ways. Um, and you're making 18,000 a year before you get any commissions um, at, at any point where you like, yeah, I might go back to Montana <laughs> or like, <laughs> maybe this isn't the move. Like, did that ever cross your mind?
1: Um, Never that I would go back to Montana because Chicago is, is it like, I love this city. You live here now. Like it's a, it's a special place. There's something really special. Yeah. There's something really special about Chicago. Um, so I never thought about leaving and I never thought about giving up. Um, I, I think I just, I, I, I had a nap for it. I was really good really early. Like I was setting records in the company, like within my first two months of being there. I also like, I didn't have any money to go do things at the time. So I would take my behind home, you know, walk my like 45, 60 minutes home in Chicago heat in the middle of the summer. And then I would do like three more hours of lead research and show back up and have a new set of leads to, to call the next day. Um, so I think I very much had the mindset of, I will, be successful. Like I will make this work. And if, if I work hard enough, like everything will, you know, will fall into place, which was, it, it wasn't incorrect, but I also think it was a bit naive.
0: Yeah. Where, where did that mentality that like that will, where does that come from? Have you always had that?
1: For sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm super, I'm super stubborn as a person. I think like, yeah, I, (laughs) I'm really stubborn. I'm definitely like, if somebody says I can't do it, I'm 10 times more likely to do it just to prove them wrong. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I'm very motivated, certainly by ego. I'm also motivated, um, a bit by like guilt. Like I Mm. don't want to let people down. You yeah. know, they've sent me off to the big city and I don't, I don't want to let people down and not succeed. So I think some of it were, were those pieces of internal um, motivation, like, I, you know, I'm a Taurus. So like, if, if if there's a challenge ahead of me, I'm going to do it. And some of it is certainly the way that I was raised. Like I came out of a very like Montana blue collar family. I'm second gen. So watch all my grandparents immigrate and do what it took to set their family up for success. And then my parents worked, you know, multiple jobs and worked their behinds off to set me up for success. So, you know, I think some of it was, that was the culture of my family. And also, well, I'm not going to be the generation that messes this up and lets people down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you get through, get through kind of like the cold calling spree there. Um, you're setting records, you're, you're crushing it. What's the, what's the next step? Is it to get to, um, you know, like AE or whatever they, they may have called it at the company. And then like, I know you tapped into and closed a ton of fortune 500 companies in your day. I know you've been successful as a sales leader. So what was the path kind of like for you in terms of all that?
1: Yeah. Like immediately into management with absolutely no training, which I know is not just my story. Right.
0: (laughs) I've heard that one before.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, so I was a sales manager six months, like after graduating college and getting my first job. Luckily I had a ton of management and leadership experience because I, Uh, put myself through college. And so I was in college for six years and was working the entire time uh, and also volunteered a lot. I was like the student body VP. And so I, I was very, very lucky that I had quite a few years of experience managing and leading people in different capacities that I could translate to success in this role. But it was also a player coach role. So I was still responsible for hitting the same quota. My team was responsible for hitting well- hiring. Like I was also a full-time hiring manager. So like doing the recruitment, doing the hiring, managing people and still hitting my own quota. Um, so it was a, it was a crazy, it was a really crazy job, but it was also a really scary time because we were in the middle of a great recession and people were getting laid off. I mean, it's my newsfeed looks kind of similar now. Like mm. it's just layoff after layoff after layoff individuals that, you know, are great at their job getting laid off. Like, you know, every article is 10% layoff here, 14% of the workforce here. Um, I was hiring people that had just gotten their MBAs
2: mm.
1: and like not at crappy schools. Yeah.
2: So
1: it was, it, it was a really, it, it was, a, it was a scary time to think about, being expendable or to think about getting a new job when it was like very clear that it was like a you know last in first out policy that like it was it was very much a a, an employer's market for hiring at the Mm -hmm. time so I stayed the course and then by the time I think I, I was at a point in my career where I really should have gone and gotten another job I was making just a stupid amount of money in my twenties. Yeah. And I was traveling to all of these four or five star resorts that the company was putting me up in. I was meeting incredible people because all of my clients were these fortune 500 executives. So yeah. I'm meeting and learning from these incredible people. I'm traveling around the, the country and to some extent, the world, staying at these really fancy places, like making well into the six figures as a 20 something. And I got a little bit comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, like and I mean it was good and, and, and bad. I had a, a chance to work my way up from like junior exec to senior to team lead to sales manager to 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 the director of the business unit. So I had this opportunity to have like a pretty cool career trajectory to learn a lot. Um, but then when I was ready to go get another job, I was a pretty risky hire because I'd been at the same job for so long. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, we all have heard the conversations about how hard it is to break into tech today. Now think about how hard it was to break into tech like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, it was, it was even more difficult. Um, and I hadn't built a network. So like most people, you know me from LinkedIn, like most people know me from, from LinkedIn and sharing content and networking. I had not done that in my 20s and i didn't have a built-in network because i wasn't from chicago and i like didn't go to a fancy college so all of a sudden when i was ready to get a new job like it was a lot of closed doors yeah. which is like why i did a, a like a full correct right like a 180 and it it helped me become like the creator and the networker i am today but at the time it felt pretty crappy
0: yeah um what were you mentioned getting complacent which um you know, I think is, is it, it can be more common than people think, especially like in the first few years of your career, because if you're doing well in sales and I was the same way, you know, I was at my first company for like five year, first five years of my career, which by a millennial standards is a, a lifetime. Um, and you can get in there and like, after a couple of years, you can really, if you're good, like really stand out, make good money, you've got a good territory or you're a manager of a good team, you know, the system, you know, all the people, you know, the customers, like, you know, you can get into a place where you feel very comfortable or, or complacent. Um, But we know that's not where, where growth happens. Um, And so I'm curious, like what, what exactly kind of like knocked you out of that spot to like continue to push yourself?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I got to the point, Tom, where it was, nice to feel like an expert yep. it was nice to be making that much money but like i i didn't like I, there wasn't like the zest for it anymore or and i think that a lot of people experience that tipping point where all of a sudden you show up and you're like oh this is ooh, kind of boring yeah like oh do i just want to keep doing this just over and over again and it doesn't mean that the job isn't still challenging. Um, and, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that you still can't, uh, you know, I, I think get or, or feel valuable in the work you're doing. Um, but for me, there was a point where I realized I had a lot more potential yeah. than, than what I was able to experience in that role or at that company. Um, and I, I love to learn and be curious. And I kind of got to a point where I felt like I'd really learned everything I could from this particular environment and from this like particular set of peers and leaders. And I wanted something more and something better for myself.
0: So when, if folks that are listening are, you know, in a similar spot, did you, based on the way that you moved to Chicago, did you come up with like a full folder of different like worksheets for the way that you should, you know, handle this situation, your next move, or, Or how exactly did you go about finding the next spot that was going to be challenging for
1: you? You better believe that I had worksheets (laughs) and Excel documents. Yeah. So, you know, I think something that really held me back. And and one of the reasons that I, I love LinkedIn so much is that I did not know the naming of things in the sales space. Like I had been at this one company in this one job, and it was like a very, very insulated company. Like they discouraged you from networking on LinkedIn. And I didn't realize how toxic it was at the time. Like it was a culture that was full of like gaslighting people if they connected with a recruiter and calling them out. And, mm. um, it was, it was pretty toxic, but I, you know, you don't realize uh, often until till that stuff is in in hindsight. Um, but I was super insulated and I didn't know that I should be putting something like I have five years of second line management experience on my resume yeah. I, like, I didn't even know that that's what it was called to, to manage people that managed people. Like right. I didn't know I should be calling myself a full cycle rep because I did right. not know that that's what it was called to own something from you know discovery meeting through to, to close. Um, so for people that are, are thinking about that now, like go, go out and ask other people to talk through what you're doing. Um, so that they can, you know, people with more experience in the job market, people that are maybe hiring managers for other companies um, or join some of the amazing uh, organizations that for free help people that are early stage, like level up and get that, that next job. Uh, Because I, I think I often see folks with amazing experience and you look at their resume and it's meh, but then you talk to them and you're like, oh, like you're incredible. You just, like in, in tech sales, especially we gatekeep a lot of the language because it's all of these like fancy internal phrases and corporate lingo and acronyms. And if, if you're not already in, it, it can be hard to know that, that language and break in because of that. So that's one thing that I would, would say. Uh, and I think the other thing I would say is like, you might have to let go of your ego a bit, or maybe that's just mm-hmm. really personal to me. But I was at this point in my career where I was, you know, the director of a business unit. I mean, I had like a 40 to 50 person variable headcount. I was really an expert in in what I was doing, had this amazing client roster um, and not willing to like step back and just to an AE role to learn a new sales process or learn about a new industry because I was like, well, but I've done and I have. Yeah. Um, it really, it really hurt me. Like it it probably kept me in that role for another two years just because I, I, my, let my ego drive what I thought I deserved versus willing to like take one step back to take two steps forward.
0: Yeah. I hear that a lot with folks, especially when they're transitioning into tech or, or into SAS and saying, Hey, I've got five to 10 years of experience in event sales or medical device or Whatever Verizon or whatever, you know, whatever they're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, or I'm, I'm leading a team or I've led a team for three years, you know, and they want me to be a BDR. And um, part of me is like, well, that's kind of bullshit of SaaS companies that you have to have the SaaS experience. Um, but outside of, you know, changing how all of those companies pretty much are, are hiring, you know, I think there is something to be said about like putting the ego aside and thinking about where do I want to be five to 10 years from now. And if I have to take two steps back right now to get five steps forward, then that's going to be the the strategy I need to take. Or I need to, if that's not what I want to do, then I need to find a different path to get there.
2: For
1: sure. And, And if getting back into that leadership role or getting back into that closing role is what is most important to you, then have that conversation during the interviews. Like I need to see a clear growth trajectory and I need to know before I say yes to a BDR SDR role what it's going to take for me to get into a full cycle role in nine months or what it's going to take for me to be back in a leadership role within a year. And if those opportunities and that clear growth trajectory doesn't exist in that organization, that that might not be the right gig for you. But there are plenty of places, especially with with companies like RepView now, like there there are plenty of places that have that transparency in terms of wages and growth opportunity that you can be pretty clear that you're one step back is a temporary step back before you can, you know, accelerate your trajectory forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we get into anything else you mentioned in that first role, you know, you were traveling the country, traveling the world, meeting with all these senior execs um, at the Fortune 500 companies. So there's a different skill set, I think, required to sell to the Fortune 500 versus smaller companies. I'd love for you to expand a little bit about that of like mistakes that you've you saw other reps make or that you made or just kind of like what that learning curve was all about um as you're breaking into some of those like enterprise enterprise sales
1: yeah i i'm not sure that gig was probably the best example because it was pretty transactional but then i've, I've okay. gone on throughout my career to stay very focused at, at uh the enterprise um level and and at the c-suite level i think a couple of big mistakes are not picking up the phone.
2: Mm.
1: That's a that's a, a big one, uh, especially at that like executive or C-suite level, because those 10, the demographic tends to be a little bit older. And the data shows that the older somebody is, the more they prefer to be called on the phone.
2: Mm.
1: Like they want that personal touch point. Um, and often when I look at cadences, it's like all emails with some LinkedIn touch points and like maybe one voicemail. Yeah. But really at the enterprise level, you need to have, you need to have phone calls as a regular part of your cadence. A lot of these folks um, don't exist on LinkedIn or if they're on LinkedIn, they check once a month or maybe even their admin checks it. Their admin's obviously checking their emails very often as well. So when you think about reaching an executive directly, phone calls have to be a critical part of that, that process. Um, when it comes to emails, I often see people going right in for the ask. Mm. And the, the more senior somebody is in an organization and particularly those big big organizations, if you just think about how much their time costs like their, their time might cost $5,000 an hour if you broke it down. So even though you feel like you're only asking for a few minutes, it's like, okay, but the 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 money equivalent to that is $1,000. And I think what I, I really found, Tom, is that at that level, like nothing is more important to those people than time.
2: Mm.
1: Like that that is their number one asset is time. So an ask for time is a, a really, really big deal. And what reps fail to do is to make those deposits and build the credibility and the interest before asking for time. So I would say, make sure phone calls are a part of your cadence, and for the emails in that cadence, make sure that you are making deposits before asked, so that you're really earning that right to their inbox and then to their calendar, and then ultimately, you know, to their business.
0: So how might you do that via email? Do you mean? Um... Like making sure that the the email itself is valuable. Do you mean um, sending multiple ones that are just, hey, here's an article I saw, here's something valuable, and then on the third email there's an ask, or you go to people lower than them and report what you've heard, and like, what's what's like the ways that you might go about it? Totally,
1: literally all of those things that you said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so certainly multi-thread, which like you said, going going to the people below them. Um, I. I love an influencer campaign, which means that I'm also, it's like more of a, a marketing nurture campaign is how I envision it. But I am sending it to all the folks that I think are direct report to that executive that I'm trying to reach. It's about building that, that credibility, that excitement. Ultimately, when you get time with like, let's say it's a CFO and they go back to their team and say, hey, have you ever heard of Gong or you know whatever it is? Yeah, like, but- oh, yeah, actually they sent me a white paper a couple of weeks ago that I loved or better yet they see something great and they forward it on to the broader team. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So I I think that, yes, absolutely. That act of like multi-threading, creating influencer campaigns is very valuable. Um, Escalating your asks uh, absolutely works like deposit, deposit, deposit ask, or I like to go with like CTA lights before I explicitly ask for their time. So, you know, would you like to learn more? Is this of interest before, should we get time on the calendar at 10 AM on Tuesday? So going in with lighter asks, as I hopefully am building that credibility by making those deposits. Um, The deposits themselves always need to be valuable and relevant. I know that the balance between hyper-personalization and making it work is something that folks are really struggling with right now. And the litmus test is always, it doesn't matter if it's hyper personalized, if it's not relevant and it's not bringing value to your prospect. So being like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I saw you, uh, you know, also went, like, I saw that you're also a huge fan of the Chicago Black Box. I am too. Anyways, what I sell is, yeah, like that's not hyper personalization, right? Hyper personalization is knowing their company and the market they sell in and the, the stuff that's important to somebody in that job role and being able to then lead the conversation with, with um, you know, case studies, white papers, invites to webinars, links to articles that aren't even written by your company, the things that are going to tell them, like, I, I know what the heck is going on here. And, and I'm a credible voice that is going to be somebody that's worth meeting with when I ultimately ask you for your time.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's money. Um, and one thing that you mentioned before we got on the phone here is like, like I've been cold calling for over ten years. Um, and sounds like you know that's one of your tips as well. Like to get in touch with some of these folks is just like, just pick up the phone, and that could be prospecting. I imagine it could also be like, if you're trying to push a deal forward, if you're getting ghosted, whatever the case may be. Um, any tips for you're calling an exec? like, you know, that that are tactical that that might be helpful for folks?
1: Mm, Yeah, Uh, pick up the phone. Um, Yes, let me just repeat that one more time. Um, I think something that works really well is having a voicemail that refers back to another touch point in your cadence Um, Mm. because at that executive level, they are a little bit more likely to check their own voicemails which then yep. might spark that interest that leads back to the email. Uh, the caveat is don't leave a voicemail that's like, hi, this is Leslie calling from Sales Team Builder. Call me back at. Yeah. Like your voicemail needs happen. to- Yeah, that's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Um, don't. I don't even leave my phone number or ask right. for a callback. I just say like, here's the subject line of the email I'm going to send you. So pointing them to that, that um, other touch point and my voicemails are usually almost the same exact uh, uh, script is the first sentence of my email. Right. So it's yeah. like that problem statement or something that's impactful or that like relevant, hyper-personalized piece. Um, so, I mean, I would, I would say that's a, a big one. I don't know. What do you see work?
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think a lot of the ways that I got taught, like, you know, seven years ago when I started selling, it was, it was that it was like, Hey, this is Tom from XYZ company blah, blah, blah. Call me back at my number and then repeat the number, you know, so like six in their head or like no one has ever, I've probably gotten one call back, you know, in my whole sales career. And it was probably someone like telling me to buzz off, you know, it's never happened in a good way. Um, And so I would, I usually would reference like, you know, or sometimes we'll we'll mix it up and just be even like, Hey, um, Leslie, uh, you know, I'm actually going to send you an email right now. The subject line is what's up or, you know, whatever, something better than that. But um, you can check it. It's got all the info there. Let me know if you're interested in connecting, something like that. Um, I've even gotten some where some people's voicemails say, um, don't leave me a voicemail or they'll say like, if it's important to text me. And so I've taken that literally before and texted. And that's, um, that's, that's polarizing for sure. Like it's worked. Uh, and then sometimes it hasn't worked at all. But if people are suggesting that they're not going to listen to their voicemail on their voicemail ringtone thingy, then it, that's worth a shot, too, um, mm-hmm. if they're giving you the open door. So I've done that, too.
1: Oh, I love that one. I actually have gotten a couple of text messages over the past few months because yeah. my voicemail says I do not. It's my personal voicemail, not my work voicemail. But either way, it says. I do not check this voicemail. Do not leave me a message. I will not check it. And that is very accurate. I have like 42 unchecked voicemails. <laughs> it's not, it's not just deploy. I really don't check it, but I say like, text me at this number. Um, and I do text back cause that's really easy. Right. So it's like very yeah. low friction. Like, yeah. well, how do we, how do we ease that like barrier to reply for our prospects? Um,
0: and I, I think text is, is, so, we're talking about execs before, and so maybe that's different if it's a fifty year old person that's been not the stereotype, but just been in the in the business for a long time. If someone was trying to sell me something, like and I have recruiters hit me up, or I have someone that like wants to do podcast production stuff or whatever. so I get some some cold outreach, probably not nearly as much as you or or other leaders. but um, when they text me, I respond, like I never don't respond. It's probably the best place if you were to sell me something would be to text me versus calling or emailing, I think.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I, I, like, I think another thread in there is using people's mobiles, particularly now during mm. the pandemic. That can also be a polarizing topic. And the reality is that these are their primary work phones now. And most of the time, their company is paying. Yeah. So it's like their primary work line being paid for by their work. Like, what, Why would you not? call their cell phone this isn't you know a decade ago two decades ago where like cell phones were brand new and this precious thing like these are now the primary numbers to to reach people on Um, and that text becomes another nice little like nice little touch point maybe you do still leave a voicemail or maybe you text them and say would you want more information in an email and you can create that like like broader set of touch points that helps meet your prospects where they're at whether that's like SMB through to C suite enterprise
0: yeah yeah absolutely um, and to take a pivot um, i wanted to get into sales team we're going to talk
1: about malort now <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can talk about we can talk about malort for okay so we'll go we'll go down there real quick so for anyone in either san francisco for fernet's or chicago for malort this is a quick rant Cities need to choose a better go-to liquor because both of those are terrible, and that's how I got initiated into both of these cities, taking shots of them, and they're disgusting. They make you want to throw up. No one likes them, and it's it's despicable. These are great cities that need better better liquors that are tied to them. Do you get? Do you have anything to add to that?
1: <laughs> I'm just over here absolutely cackling. Um, I like Fernet, so I mean. That tells you everything you probably need to know about me, but Malore is absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Um, I like it. I like a bit of initiation. Like now we're you're in, you're yeah, in the yeah. community. We're all in it together. Yeah. We all had to do this in a public place and then do like a couple of deep breaths that we didn't throw up in front of our new friends. And now we're all in it together.
0: Yeah, there's <laughs> something, there's something to be said for that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I played college sports, so I know. I know about the the team building exercises of, you know, some mild hazing. Uh, oh so I guess like, that's that's all this is.
1: Like everybody needs to unite against a common evil. And so maybe malarts are common evil.
0: It definitely, it, I think for me and you, it definitely is. <laughs> um, that's great. We'll, we'll have to clip that. Um, so what the, the last topic I wanted to get before um, the rapid fires that closes out is sales team builder, something that you were building, uh, I think on the side, in two, starting like 2018-ish, uh, and now went full-time. And so I know that you, know, you have a ton of experience, like we're talking about selling to large companies, running teams, building teams, all of these things. Um, but part of your focus, is, at least is, or to my knowledge, is around building a more inclusive sales org as part of your, what you're doing there. I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about why that's part of the mission and you know, how you suggest go about doing that.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I left corporate America, which is why as an elder millennial, I can meet you at the bar on a school night and not have to worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I, so like the, the, the full thinking is to make sales a more inclusive, respected profession. And I think we've all felt that respect piece, right? Like you tell somebody that you're in sales and you're like, "Ew." you're like, Oh no, 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 it's, I actually am, um, very good at this. And I, I help people. (laughs) Uh, But there's, you know, there's like a a conception in popular culture that salespeople are these con artists and scam artists. And and what you and I and I would assume folks that are taking the time out of their day to tune into a sales podcast know is that the best salespeople are there to be helpful, right? To be curious, to be empathetic, to like guide somebody through the buying process. And if it's not right for them, admit like we don't have the solution to, to your problem. Um, so, you know, I, I think part of it is how do we ditch some of those old conceptions and some of those behaviors? Because the the stereotypes are often rooted in like really bad behaviors of like, we don't take no for an answer and, and all that that BS. Uh, and then I think an extension of that is the inclusivity piece. And, and some of that are those more obvious pieces of recruit and hire diverse talent. Like when your talent gets there, make sure that they feel included. Like, don't just give them a seat at the table make sure that their voice is heard, go, go out of your way to, to do that. Uh, but one of the things I really focus on for the inclusivity piece is that most of our historical sales training and like the narratives, the processes, the frameworks were made by white men for white men, mm-hmm. like no judgment. It's, it's some great stuff. I've been using it all my, all my career, yeah. but we're at this point now where it's it's necessary for that thinking to evolve mm-hmm. and it's necessary to acknowledge that there isn't a way to sell or like one framework that works or yeah. one way to overcome an objection. And unfortunately, that's just not the culture that most salespeople exist in. They mm-hmm. have their script that's given to them and they have to follow it. They have their process that's given to them and they have to follow. That's, that's the environment I grew up in. And I constantly got in trouble because I was doing things differently. And I was like, Hey, but they work. And also that feels gross. And this, this doesn't. Um, And so, you know, a lot of it is just really empowering folks to bring their own lived experiences into the workplace and to be like curious and playful and creative to take what we know has worked in the past and just, just tweak it a little bit and see what allows us to, to have more meaningful connections with, with our buyers.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I think, you know, something that we talk a lot about on the show is like, you have to be able to be, you know, authentic in your sales approach. And so blindly following the script that was made 20 years ago is just not going to work for most people or, or anyone at this point. And so, um, if you're funny, be funny. If you're, if you're serious, be serious. If you're data driven, be data driven. You know, if you're a big storyteller, then do that, you know, and and there's a million different ways that you know uh, introvert versus extrovert, and all these different ways that you are as a person naturally um, that you can lean into. And as soon as you realize that and start to do that, you know, I think that's a real turning point in any sales career. Um, for me personally, and from a lot of folks I've talked to.
1: Yes, I'm over here like snapping right now. I don't think people <laughs> can hear it through the microphone, but you're but you're so right. And there's some some data that really backs that up, right? Like people here your tone more than they hear your words. So Mm -hmm. if you're taking a script to the phone that you do not feel confident saying that you do not believe in, it doesn't matter if it's the best script that's ever been written, that's not going to get people to buy, right? But if you take like kind of maybe a crappier script to the phone, but you are jazzed about it because you wrote it and you love it. And it's still, you know, it still like tells the story. It's still buyer centric. Like it, you know, it's within the the kind of parameters of best practice. That's way more likely to work because you're, you're jazzed about it. Um, So, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. You're spot on there. It's a, it's a brave, it's a brave new world, but it's a really exciting world to get to see this like next generation of sales professionals having the privilege to bring more of themselves to work, having leadership that encourages creativity. And I think having like an overall reframe of putting the buyer at the center of what we're doing versus putting ourselves or our companies at the center of what we're doing.
0: Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. Um, All right. Let's talk rapid fires, Leslie. Um, First up, we're big learners on the podcast. I'm curious uh, if you are a reader, I'm curious if there's any books that have Changed your life, your career been very impactful for you. Any topic is uh, is fair game.
1: Uh, well, I am a huge reader, uh, both like business books and then fiction. I am hosting a business book club that's free. It's on LinkedIn Live. Shameless plug. Okay. Um, what have I read? So, Challenger Customer is one we're going to do in a little bit. Everybody's familiar mm-hmm. with Challenger Sale. Not that many people have read Challenger Customer. I think it's way way better. Um, that, that was a game changer for me when I was thinking about some of the examples they use, like a dense apply and Xerox for people that, that read it. And I was like, wow. Um, I, so I love that one, atomic habits. That's another one that we're going to do. Yeah. That's just a powerhouse. Um, James clear. That's like one of the only newsletters that I not just subscribe to, but actually read. Yeah. Cause I think we all have the ones that, <laughs> that we subscribe to and then they accidentally yeah. get deleted. Um yeah I I love I love 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 books. There's also some that I've read that are really crappy. Um <laughs> but yeah those are are two that pop into my head straight away. Oh, and my book. I'm an author of a book. I should mention my own book. Yes, in March. Like yeah, yeah. Uh in March I had the privilege of co-authoring a book with 30 other women in sales called Heels to Deals, how women are dominating in B2B sales. Um, the book is good. The community that I got as a result of it is even better. It's, it's like a bit humbling to be honest.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Um, what about, uh, other, so you mentioned the James clear newsletter, a plus one that, but other ways you like to learn if it's any other newsletters or podcasts or YouTube channels, anything you've been like binging recently.
1: Um, I do love podcasts. I don't do a lot of sales podcasts because I rent too much space in my head to other things while I'm listening to podcasts. So for sales, yeah. I really have to like read it. I do a ton of free certifications for mm-hmm. sales, like all the the trailheads and the stuff on HubSpot and there's some stuff on Udemy. So I, I like going through the process where I like have to learn it and then have to quiz myself on it and then have to repeat it back. That's what makes it work for my brain. Um, but for podcasts, I love, love, love things like this American life and hidden brain is one I'm obsessed with my favorite, Mm. maybe my like second or third favorite podcast called flash forward. That's like a futurist podcast just wrapped its last episode, but it has like five seasons. Listen to that. Um, but everything I like, I'm a bit aggressive about how much information I consume. Like I'm always <laughs> taking like at least one certification. I'm always reading at least two books. I always have, you know, like at least 10 podcasts downloaded
2: got a lot on going my LinkedIn on.
1: and ticked. I love, I love to learn. It's fun, right? It's yeah. fun to know that like tomorrow we might get to learn and experience something for the very first time ever in our lives. Like yeah. that's cool and powerful.
0: Really cool. Really cool. And I was uh. I was listening to a podcast this morning. Uh, and Mark Cuban was talking about how he loves to learn and how he's just always thinking about like, you know how quick the world's changing in all these different ways. And there's all these kids that are, you know, all over the world that are sixteen years old that are just like super hungry to learn and create and all this. And like the only way to, you know, continue the success you've had, the only way to keep growing is to keep learning because, what we know now is gonna be obsolete 10 years from now. And so I just love the, yeah, yeah, or like tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, So I I just love that, love that thought. Um, Leslie, what goes on in the headphones music-wise?
1: Oh, a little bit of everything. Um, I do like to scream, sing Broadway classics.
0: Okay.
1: Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. When my <laughs> husband is here, and so I'm working in an office, when he's working in the the kitchen, which is behind this wall, more than once he has had to come in and ask me to scream sing, just a little less loud because he's on a phone call. <laughs> um, but besides <laughs> that, um, I listen to a ton of rap and uh, hip hop, but mostly like early '90s. Nah, that's not true. I listen to all of it. I listen to everything. It's better to say what I don't listen to. I do not listen to country and I do not listen to jazz. Everything else I pretty much love.
0: I like it. What's something you do outside of work to recharge?
1: Soul cycle. Okay. That was
0: such a short answer. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> hey, that was, ra- that was rapid fire. That was rapid fire. Um, we, when we met up uh, uh, a month or two ago, you are talking about all of the uh, world travels that you do. Give me a top place or a top three place that you've been to
1: oh my god i think at like over three drinks we never even got to to a top place um I to, like tokyo is a place i think about a lot like mm. really all like all of asia i love I i don't know but then i went to africa right before the pandemic and that was like freaking mind-blowing uh yeah. i'm going to south america for six weeks Um, here i don't i don't know what your release time is but like pretty pretty soon um i'm going to go hike machu picchu and eat my way through lima and then digital nomad in uh, in peru and colombia i don't know there's no place that i wouldn't go back to yeah after like 30 countries there's no no country that i i wouldn't want to see and experience a second time
0: that trip sounds unbelievable um my last one for you who is someone that you want to see on the Millennial Sales Podcast, but you have to help me get them on the show.
1: Who? Um, have you have you already had Andy Paul?
0: I just talked to Andy like last week, uh, talking about his new book.
1: Yeah, he's amazing. Did did anything ever come with that conversation with Jason Bay? You guys are going to do a pod we, swap.
0: We are going to. We have not connected. We've done a couple reschedules, but we've got we've got some time on the calendar as well.
1: Yeah. You know who else would be a good pod swap, swap is Casey Jones. Do you know her? No, I, I feel like I know that name.
0: You've seen I her content.
1: She's like an incredible creator on TikTok and on LinkedIn. And then she just launched a brand new pod. Mm. Um, she's great. What about Megan um, Missyak? Have you had her yet? I think we talked uh, I, about her.
0: I, yeah, like a year or two. It's been a while. We could do a part two. Casey yeah. Jones, does she run her own shop or she works somewhere?
1: She runs her own shop. Okay. Yeah, she's incredible. Have you had Jenny Anderson yet?
0: I don't think I know Jenny Anderson. Oh, We're, you're 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 educating me. Okay. I'm
1: telling you. Have you had Nikki Ivy yet?
0: I have had Nikki Ivy. She Oh my
1: god, yeah, she's the shit. Um, you you've got
0: me a couple here though that, yeah. <laughs> you, that I haven't had.
1: I'll introduce you to to any to any of the. Oh my god, you know who you should have? Who? What about Nick Capozzi? That man is a freaking riot.
0: I just met him a couple of weeks ago and we are, uh, we are scheduling something. So he's on like a big road trip right now. It looks is. like on LinkedIn. Yeah. So after that, we're, road we're trip. doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he's
2: fun.
1: Yes. Well, I will introduce you to anybody because the, uh, best part about the sales community and certainly the like LinkedIn iteration of the sales community is that this is a group of givers.
0: Mm, totally true. Um, Leslie, first of all, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, sharing your wisdom. Want to give you a moment for any other shameless plugs outside of the <clears throat> cough, cough, book club, the book you <laughs> released. Following you on LinkedIn, <laughs> follow you on TikTok. Uh, what else do we got?
1: Uh, yes, well, fair play. I don't make any money off the book. It goes to the Girls Who Sell Empowerment Fund to mm. for free help people transition into tech sales, women specifically. Um, follow me on TikTok at Sales Tips Talk. Uh, and I mean, I'm a brand new solopreneur, so please give me your money. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in all that. seriousness, I'm about ready to, uh, end one engagement. So I have this badass interactive training workshop series that I run. That's like, it's, it's really freaking cool. So if people are into sales training, hit me up there, or I now in uh, August, will have room for one more fractional, um, sales leader role. So
0: let's hit her see. up,
2: people.
1: Yeah. Hit me up. Hmu style,
0: Leslie. I appreciate you coming on. This is a hoot.
1: This was nice. This was nice. We'll have to do it uh, in real life. Again in soon. real
0: life, with a with a nice glass of Malort on Blech. on the rocks.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll end Thanks, on that. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast is brought to you by the Up and Up Community. This is a community that I put together with my friend Anthony Natoli, who's over at Lattice. It's focused on two things. It's helping salespeople crush their goals, hit quota, do all those great things, as well as it's really focused on mental health, uh, trying to avoid burnout, trying to stay on the path, trying to be more fulfilled through this uh, profession. So it's a Patreon group. Uh, we've got a live community. We've got a live chat and Discord that's 24-7. And we have weekly calls where we're bringing in folks like Justin Welsh, uh, Kevin Dorsey, Devin Reed, et cetera, to come in. We do hour-long sessions every single week, live Q&A. You can ask them whatever you want. Um, and it's amazing. It's only 10 bucks a month. Um, would love for you to check it out and, and give it a go uh, and see if it's something that might be helpful for you. You can check it out either on my LinkedIn page or patreon.com slash Up. Hope to see you there.